0: Welcome to Inclusive Occupations, sharing stories of not just being invited to the party, but dancing. I'm your host, Savita Sundar, and I'm an occupational therapist. Inclusion, simply put, is a sense of belonging. While this can apply to anyone, This podcast is primarily geared towards occupational therapists working in school-based practice to become informed and inspired to create a community for the children and youth they serve. Authentic inclusion is often a two-way process. For one to feel belonged, the community must be conducive. In our previous episode, we met with Sam Drayson, founder of Changing Perspectives and learned about his efforts in this space in creating awareness among people about the world of individuals with disabilities. Also, individuals with disabilities must be able to find their place in that community, find purpose and value. We all know that I'm using the word disabilities in general, I hope. It indeed represents a very broad community of individuals. As school-based occupational therapists, the students we service more intensively are often those who are in the moderate to severe end of the disability spectrum. These students often require extensive support to participate in school life. Today, we have another special guest, an occupational therapist, Deborah Schwind. She is one of the angels of change I had mentioned about in my second episode. I just can't tell you how excited I am to show off the people I have had the good fortune to get to know in the course of my career. And Debbie is a school-based occupational therapy guru. She certainly is my guru. She totally brings our core OT philosophies to life in her practice in the school system. In an effort to keep this podcast brief, I'm going to be sharing Debbie's work in the show notes. Please, please do refer to it, refer to it when you get a chance. And Debbie, thank you so much for being here today. You have done so much in so many ways that model best OT practice in schools. Since this podcast is about inclusion and about building a community for our students with disabilities, would you share with our listeners the program you have
1: pioneered in Cedar Lane Elementary? Sure. Thank you so much for having me and for all the complimentary words that you just said. I'm really honored that you've asked me to be on your podcast and that you consider me an angel of change. Um, Those are just words that touch my heart. Um, So when we think about inclusion, really our ultimate goal for all students is that we're part of the larger community, and hopefully that includes work upon graduation. But sadly, many students with disabilities, even up to 80%, are unemployed and are not part of this larger community after graduation, and OTs can really change this. So this program that I created is in a third to fifth grade self-contained autism classroom in the neighborhood school, where students may also have significant behaviors and intellectual disability, communication disorders, and possibly be AAC users. In fifth grade, some of them may not know their letters or their numbers. So we were going off campus for community-based instruction. And because the students had some of the characteristics that I already mentioned, many of them did not have these community experiences at home, like going to the grocery store. So this experience was new and overwhelming for them. It was only once a week, and the sensory experiences alone were overwhelming. It was not building any type of community acceptance of our students because they were so overwhelmed that we had significant behaviors. And it really became a loss of instructional time, not just while we were out in the community, but also when we returned to the building because they were either escalated or in shutdown mode. But I recognized how important this community experience was and saw that the off-campus community was too large and too unfamiliar. So we decided to use the school as our community. And we created a smaller community for them, built routines and expectations in this familiar environment with familiar people that was predictable. So we started developing jobs and having the students do jobs in the school community. It was functional and it was a way for them to generalize knowledge that they had learned in the classroom to skills in a very authentic, purposeful and meaningful way, which was occupation based. Um, Mm -hmm. They have peer mentors and peer buddies on the job and in their classrooms. Through these jobs, the entire school gets to know them. They get high fives in the hall. They're greeted by everyone. There's many social opportunities because of these jobs. And we can address the soft skills, conversation skills, work behaviors, career interests, and expectations through these community jobs. Um, And there's not always time for these social opportunities in the general education classroom, especially in fifth grade. And academics are not always the strengths for our students. So performing these jobs independently in the school community really showcases the abilities of our students and they feel pride and display confidence and self-esteem with their performance and they don't always get that same feeling with academics. So the mm-hmm. jobs are really part of our school community where the students are embraced They have expectations. They're part of the morning announcements. They announce the coffee cart or the farmer's market. They show their gen ed peers how to compost, what goes in the composter. We have a couple fifth graders who are readers but are low level readers. So they may be a guest reader in the library during the kindergarten time slot the mm-hmm. students belong to our school they're equals they are contributors they are valued and one of our teachers has said that they are really woven into the very fiber of our school and mm-hmm. I think it's important to think of inclusion as a continuum, that Mm -hmm. we can have inclusion in a classroom, we can have inclusion in a school, we can have inclusion in a community, and we can have inclusion in society. And we have to start very early so that we can show everyone's value and Mm -hmm. build empathy and compassion and teach peers how to interact with all students, because it's the peers of today that can advocate for them in the future and employ them in the future. And mm-hmm. transition is also a continuum because we want them to be ready to do internships, volunteer work, or paid work at sixteen, mm-hmm. and we have to build a lot of um predictors and so they can be successful at sixteen and How can we prepare them for that? We have to mm-hmm. start early
0: right mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, I mean, this is what you what you mentioned here is just so important. Like having peers who know them, so they can create jobs for their friends when they right. grow up. Right, right. And you essentially are doing that. So you have created a, a place for them to feel belonged. Yes, for our students that we service to feel belonged, um, where their abilities and not their disabilities come out. Right. And right. this this is really um, powerful, I think. And and yeah. And, and we all love to hear stories, Daddy. I know you, <laughs> do you
1: have a story to oh, share that brought I have, out the abilities of your students? I have so many stories. We will definitely have to do another podcast on more stories, but I'll, <laughs> I'll do try to do two short ones. Okay. Um, one is a uh, student who, though um, functioning, um, was just starting to use a GoTalk 4.0 and could sort items but really could not match letters, match numbers, anything like that. And he had peer buddies that would come into the classroom Um, And they would also buddy up with him when he went into the gen ed classroom and they were always looking for things to do with him. And, you know, they wanted to do an activity. They wanted to engage with him and he was really difficult to engage with. And we would sometimes set up activities for them. Sometimes they would just join in and whatever the class was doing, either in the special ed room or the gen ed room, or if they were in art or music, wherever they were. Um, But one morning they happened to come in and I said, he really needs to go do his job. And they're like, oh my gosh, well, what is his job? So mm-hmm. I told him what it was. They went down with him. And that particular morning he was um, stocking all of the condiments in the cafeteria. And Mm -hmm. they were absolutely shocked. They just could not believe it. And they looked at me and they're like, what else can he do? And um, so after that, they started joining him on a lot of his jobs because it became an activity that they could engage in together. It became an occupation for them to socially participate in. Um, And they were looking for some type of activity to do with him that had meaning to him and that he was successful at. And they found that through the job. Um, so that was, that's always. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That is
0: so cool. Like, the, the, I think as a therapist, being able to identify those opportunities in the school community where our students can showcase what they can do right, and, and, and therefore, you know, invite people to join them in what they can do instead mm-hmm. of, you know, what we often do is Identify deficit and try to remedy. Right,
1: right. Fix that. Right. So So this is is really looking more at the big picture and looking at Uh it as in a top-down manner instead of a bottom-up manner. So the other story is a student Uh who was in that same classroom, and he was in fifth grade, getting ready to transition to middle school, and he had been with us for three years—third, fourth, and fifth Mm grade—and the mom was absolutely lovely, Um, very trusting, and very supportive. And every year at the IEP, and at various other times, we'd say some of the jobs that he was doing. And at this last IEP, before he was getting ready to go to middle school, she was like, you know, I believe everything you say, but I'm just having a really hard time believing that my son is doing this. And she would describe him as Flitting and floating. He was also Mm -hmm. nonverbal, really preferred to have his shoes off. And she would say he kind of flits around the room with his shoes off, up on his tiptoes, kind of flapping his hands. And Mm -hmm. um, she said, You know, I don't ever see him doing any of these things at home. And Mm -hmm. I said, Well, would you like me to send some videotapes? And she said, Yes. So I videotaped him doing about six or seven different jobs in the school community. And my mm-hmm. finger was not off the send button and she emailed me back and she said, oh my gosh, I am crying. All of my oh. friends always post <laughs> things on Facebook about the things their kids are doing oh. and I never have anything to post and now I do. And Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I think bottom line is that parents want to see their child successful and success okay. may not always be learning your ABCs and your one, two, threes, and doing heavily academic skills. But it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we can't be successful in other ways. Um, right,
0: right, right, right. And I think our job is to reframe that for our parents, right? Right. To give them a framework to to show these are different things your kid can do. Right. And can be successful in and, and, and just change their expectations from from their educational program mm-hmm. in a way. And, and so, have it
1: more mm-hmm. strengths-based instead of deficit-based. Yes. So looking exactly. at their strengths yes. and what they can do and how we can really um, play off of all of those strengths so that they can be successful. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And this completely re- redefines our job, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just takes us on a different path of creating opportunities for our kids starting not just uh, in high school but in early on right because again
1: at at 16 if we want them to be employed or successful upon graduation Mm -hmm. if they're not going to college then Mm -hmm. the biggest predictor of success is if they have a job at 16 or volunteer work or an internship at 16, which means all of these predictors of success already need to be in place. We already Mm -hmm. need to have social skills. We already need to have work behaviors. We already need to have self-determination skills. Um, And
0: what better way to do that than you know, starting early on and and including them in the school community. Right. Including their peers to be part of it.
1: Right. Because, because
0: their peers are going to be their future. Right.
1: And if, community if, if a child has never had an opportunity to perform a work task and we ask them at 14 or 16, what do you want to do? They don't even have a realistic response because they've never been given that opportunity to dabble in that so we want them to be mm-hmm. able to have a lot of different opportunities so they can start recognizing what they like and what they don't like. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Very, very true. Very, very true. And this is, these stories are, um, they just bring what you do to life. So much
1: more. <laughs> Thank you, Teddy. <Debbie. laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> okay.
0: So um, I know many OTs out there want to do things differently in school. But they struggle with many challenges. You know, we, you know, it's kind of old news that we want to get out of this handwriting um, bubble. We want to get out of this fine motor domain and address more fully the scope of our practice. In a recent study by Saruya and Garfinkel, uh, some of the realities were pointed out and they weren't surprising at all. And one of the major implications for OTs that was mentioned in the study is the need for resources and training and advocacy, just like letting people know what we can do, right, as therapists. And how was your experience in advocating for this non traditional practice style?
1: I think in order for you to have a program like this and for it to be truly embraced and supported, you really have mm-hmm. to have school leadership that supports inclusion. Um, the school leadership needs to be role models by buying things off the farmer's market and buying things off the coffee cart and you know, encouraging the PTA to possibly financially support the program through grants or those sorts of things. And I really am so fortunate that I have that in my principal, Mr. Robert Marple. He really Mm -hmm. embraces all learners. He sees their strengths Mm -hmm. and he sees their potential. He really Mm -hmm. values or he really looks to see everyone's individual value as well as Mm -hmm. how we can all be contributors. And I think this can actually go back to PBIS programming and mental health or social emotional learning within our school and within our school division, which OTs Mm -hmm. can also... Play a part in, but we really need to collaborate and share ideas with leadership. And when we go to them, we should really kind of have a plan and strategize as a way to advocate. And a great way to do that is by filling out something called a logic plan. And if you just search for it, there's a lot of different ones that will come up, but it's basically a way to organize your program from start to implementation you know, what are the the things you're going to need? What are the goals that you're looking to achieve? How are you going to achieve those? What instruments and tools do you need or what supplies do you need? Um, so mm-hmm. having that filled out, I think would be really, really beneficial, um, when you go to talk to them. And I think it's also, okay. it's a logic uh-huh. L-O-I-G-I-C. And I think it's okay. also really important that we have the facts about unemployment rates for those with disabilities to present to mm-hmm. them, because I think that's really eye opening. And It's important for Mm -hmm. us to promote OT's role in that big picture of student success. You know, Mm -hmm. and you mentioned 80%
0: of individuals with disabilities are unemployed. Yes. Yes. That is a huge number. And despite all the money that's being put in, and all the efforts that's being put in, in education, the outcome is less than satisfactory. And that's
1: even for people with Mm -hmm. disabilities who have gone on to college, Um, it Mm -hmm. it is that Mm -hmm. high. Um, and if you think Mm -hmm. about our whole purpose in education is really to provide our communities with citizens who can contribute to society. And we're really failing in that area for our students with disabilities. And we really do need to do better than that. And OTs can really help, um, these jobs, this job program, is really related to work, play, leisure, ADL, IADL mm-hmm. skills, and social participation, and those are all of our domains of practice. And we can look mm-hmm. at very specific performance components that are embedded in these jobs that occur in a very natural context that we can address, mm-hmm. and we can do task analysis and activity analysis. But this is really an occupation-based approach, and If for some reason we are stuck in that handwriting mode, the jobs give us something to write about. It's very functional to write about. We can um, write about the steps of the coffee cart. We can write about who we talk to on the coffee cart. It's much easier to write about something that we have actually experienced. So use this is what you're
0: saying right now is just like bringing this fact out that we have a major role in addressing the context and the environment and not just the person. Uh, Interventions are so geared towards the person. And when we address the environment, it's the immediate classroom environment. There's an environment beyond. There is so much more that we can do if we shift our focus to the environment in which our students are embedded yes, in yes and that's exactly what you have done you have changed that community to make it meaningful right. for them so when they do their writing they're writing for a right. purpose exactly right? they're probably signing in to come into yes. work or they're learning this you know writing the steps of the task that they have to or learning to read the steps that they have right. to do. there's immediate right So yeah, this is so good. This is so good, (laughs) Debbie. I'm so every time I talk to you, I feel Uh, inspired. And even if I hear the same things again, I feel inspired. I appreciate that. (laughs) You You are welcome. Uh, So to finally, you know, our listeners, I believe, are predominantly school-based occupational therapists trying to make a difference in the lives of their Mm -hmm. students. And if you were to leave us with your final words of wisdom on how they can be, they can more fully support participation for their students and promote authentic inclusion, what would that be? So
1: I think to really be, to support inclusion And to support participation, we really do need to look at this top-down picture and look at the big picture Mm -hmm. instead of, again, compartmentalizing all these performance components, but really looking at how they perform in the school community. So, um, for example, in middle school, I'm in the tech ed classroom. I'm in family and consumer science. I'm in the art room, the music Mm -hmm. room, the band room, and looking at what is the barrier? Why aren't they able to access the curriculum or access this community? What can I do to modify and adapt it so that my student who has Down syndrome can play in the high school band? What is preventing him from doing that? How can I change this so that he can play in that high school band? Um, So we really want to promote participation and engagement in these social interactions so that all students feel a sense of belonging. And I think, Mm push-in services in the classroom are so important so that we can really contextually see where the student is having Mm -hmm. difficulty and we can be a part of the solutions. And when we do this, Mm -hmm. we can really engage the peers during those push-in services. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they can help solve some of the problems too and help the peer problem solve some of the problems. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in turn, the peers are gaining just so absolutely
1: much. absolutely the amount of right. empathy and compassion um, that they develop um, is really extraordinary
0: yeah those are like the most important skills for our future generation when technology is going to take over our lives you know the human element needs to be honed and that needs to be yeah you know And there's also, (laughs) you
1: know, some new research coming out about businesses that hire adults with disabilities, um, the morale in those businesses is much higher um, than it was before they had adults with disabilities working there. So I
0: that is so interesting. And I, I, and it's not, it's not difficult to believe at all. Right. (laughs) It's just expansion of what we see. Exactly.
1: Right. Exactly. Yep.
0: Yeah, thank you so much and would you mind sharing that article debbie so i can post that in the show notes as well
1: um i don't know if i have i don't i don't know if i saved that article um but i can try to find that sure yeah if you find it we'll always add it on to our okay show that notes. sounds great yeah
0: <laughs> thank you so much again thank for being you here and uh, <laughs> yeah and I really look forward I hope we can have you again and and
1: have you talk about your other uh, programs. well I'm always full of stories so <laughs> thank, you. thank you bye-bye okay
0: bye Debbie <laughs>